Welcome to church, everybody. Let's bring on in the kids. Kendrick, have a seat. I'm just kidding. Ha ha ha. Hopefully, you found a seat here. Uh, might have to have everyone move in the middle just to so make room for everyone on the outside. Just kidding. You're, fi- you're fine. Plenty of seats. Plenty of seats. Um, yeah, again, welcome to church. And we're here to, uh, f- a few of the main reasons is to edify, build up, and worship. And uh, sometimes you're one of the people that needs to be built up. And sometimes you're one of the people that does the building and uh, it can go back and forth. And so we just hope that you um, do that today and that you also worship Jesus with us. So go ahead and stand. Darkness running 
Jesus, our Savior, new hope, new life, new wine. We come together with one breath, one voice, one cry. Jesus, our Was good. Let's go ahead and get the slides up for giving real quick here. We have three ways to give. We have our mailbox outside, we have our giving box out in the foyer, and we have our church center app. So those are the three ways. Um, I wanted to just have us think about something for just a second here. You know, um, when we give generously and when we give sacrificially, it's not because God needs anything. It's, it's not that. It's because we love him and because we want to show our love to him. So giving is an expression of that love that we have for him. It's also obedience, yes, of course, but it's also an expression of our gratitude and our trust and our increasing joy. And so I just wanted to share that with you. Um, it's important to know that 
giving is actually a part of worship. It is, it's an act of worship. And so um, thank you. Thank you all for giving sacrificially. We really, really appreciate it. And I'm going to go ahead and let's just pray. Lord, we offer these gifts, our tithes and our offerings to you with thankful hearts and in joyous praise. As we give of our money, we surrender our whole beings to you in worship and adoration. Lord, may this offering extend the work of your kingdom in your church, your community, and into the beautiful world which you have made. Thank you, God. We just love you and we just want to worship you in all that we are and all that we have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thank you for these kids that are being raised to worship you. It brings me to tears seeing them lift their hands and close their eyes. Bless them, Lord. I pray that you're with them during their Sunday school service this morning. Be with Pastor as he delivers your word to us. I pray for open hearts and open minds to hear what you have to say to us this morning, God. We love you. We worship you. We praise you. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's dismiss the kids at this time. I want to uh, apologize for last Sunday. The air conditioner tripped out, and we didn't know it, so that's why it got so hot in the building. So I just had Angelo check it. It's still running. So there's no, there's no air conditioning in the children's ministry, so you're going to have grumpy kids when you get them. So just have grace with them. Amen? You may be seated. And I cut two pages out of my sermon this morning just because I love the kids. And I love the teachers and want to have grace with them. The sun's shining. It's Astoria. Where's the fog? I'm already complaining. Where's the fog? It's good to be together this morning. My wife is trying to put me on a healthy diet. To increase my happiness. She says that she feels happier when she's eating healthier. Her problem is, I don't want to. I know it's true. I know it's true, but it's not what I want to do. It's not what I want to do. The question is, will we settle for what I know is wrong... Or will I do what might save my life? And will I care for the people around me enough to say, this is the best thing for you. You need to go on a diet that's healthier. It's not a diet to lose weight. It's a diet to eat healthier. So not that I couldn't lose a few pounds, but shut up about that. But I thought about where we've been in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9. And next week we're going we're gonna to delve more into how the Holy Spirit works in salvation. And I'm excited about that. But this week I just thought I'd do something simple, something to answer what I preached last week. Because I felt like last week was 
and I'll talk about that in a minute, just the rantings of an old pastor. Sometimes you get to do that as a pastor. If it's good for me, it's probably good for you. Is that not true? If eating healthy is good for me, it's probably good for you to eat healthy. If my salvation is good for me, my salvation is probably good for you. Amen? The question is, are we living that lifestyle? To where we know something's good for us. We know something's good for you. We know something's good for others. But we keep it to ourselves because we don't want the rejection of somebody saying you need to go on a diet. Okay, a couple of you got that one. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we come to you because you gave us the hope of salvation through Jesus Christ. And it is through Jesus Christ that we get to come to you. And it's through your spirit that our sins are cleansed of of, of us. And we're empowered to live a whole new life through you. But Father, I worry that maybe sometimes I'm not as good with sharing what's good for people as I should be. That I know your spirit is telling me that I should be sharing with people that there's a better life out there. But how easy it is to just be thinking about my own life. I know Jesus is good for this world. The Holy Spirit tells me that every day. Your word tells me that every day. But am I willing to share what's good for people? if they're not going to be receptive to it? Those are my questions. I've been asking you all week long, and this, this is all I could come up with as an answer. We need your help today to open ourselves up to your spirit. Holy Spirit, please, if we have grieved you this week, if we have turned you away, if we have pushed you away, let today be the day that we repent of that and open ourselves up to your presence. If we have quenched your spirit, if we have quenched your power in our lives, Help us to repent of that today. Help us to recognize it and to repent of it that we may receive something from you that will change the world. Because I believe, Father, that your spirit will change the world. Open our hearts up today. We love you in Jesus we pray. And all God's people said. For years, Israel had a pattern. And that pattern was they would confess of being children of God. They claimed to be children of God. But they then chose to live life their own way. So they would say that they were believers, that they were children of God. They were, we could even say they were Christians. 
but they chose to live life their own way. And then they would face some form of chastening from God because God loves his children and only chastens the ones that he loves. And they would then play as repentant children because they wanted the chastening to stop. Have you ever punished your child and you knew they weren't sorry for it, but they said sorry, but they said sorry, but they really weren't sorry? Acting as if they were sad for their sin. But you knew they weren't really sad for their sin. They're just sad that they got caught in their sin. And then they would just return to their wicked ways. They would confess to being children of God, choose to live life their own way, face some form of chastening, play as if they were repentant of it, acting as if they were sad, but then return to what they were doing before. Any of you have children that have done that, or any of you have been a child that has done that. Nothing God did throughout their history produced the desired result of repentance and healing. All God God wanted his children to do is come back to him, see that the way he had life set up was the best way to do life, and then follow that life. But nothing God did brought repentance and healing to the children of Israel. So God sends Isaiah, we've been in it for what, the last few months, into what seems to be a message of doom. You're going to preach, they're not going to hear. You're going to teach, they're not going to get it. You're going to share the truth, but they're not going to follow it anyway. When what you have to say has no meaning, why say it? Now this message would allow God, this message of God from Isaiah would allow God to be justified when he judges mankind. He could say, I tried to tell you the right way to go. I tried to give you the truth. I tried to share the truth with you about who I am and who you are and how I can change your life and how you should be living life to the fullest through me. He could say, I tried to communicate. He he did it through many different prophets and preachers to no avail. They just would not live the life that God determined was best for them. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 is one of my favorite verses. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God has this beautiful heart. He's so patient with you and me. He's so patient with us in our sin. He's so patient with when we choose to reject his ways and live our ways. He's so patient with us when we fake repentance and we feign... Um, he, no, I got my words mixed up. Contri- contrition. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. It's a big word for me. He just wants us all to reach that place where we're honest with him and we're humbled by our sin and we honestly confess it and start living according to his holy ways and word. Because he wants us all to reach repentance, obtain. But there's a time limit on God's 
grace in this form. Isaiah was to preach until all those who heard the message rejected it and were destroyed. God says, just keep preaching it, just keep preaching it, just keep preaching it until their lives are destroyed. Just keep preaching it. There's a time limit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep having grace. I'm going to keep having patience. I'm going to keep trying to get them to come back to me. I'm going to keep telling them, sending messengers to tell them to change their lives. But do it until they're all destroyed. See, Isaiah was to preach till all those who heard the message rejected it and were, their lives were ended. I've literally shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with people on their deathbed who have been around Christianity their whole life and rejected it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And even on their deathbed said, stuck their fist up at God and said, I will not believe. Jesus spoke the same message that Isaiah spoke. You'll find it in Matthew 13, 14, and 15, Mark chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Luke chapter 8 and verse 10, John chapter 12 and verse 40. Same message. You're going to preach and they're not going to hear. You're going to preach and they're going to reject your, your word. It's the same message that Jesus preached. It's the same message that Paul preached. And it was the same people. He, they spoke to the Jews about Jesus and they just would not accept Christ as their Savior. And the very same Jewish people who played at repentance, feigned contrition through religion, and returned to their wicked, wicked ways, neither Babylonian captivity or Roman occupation would cause Israel to repent and be healed. For some of us who've gone through a lot, we can identify. I'm amazed at the number of people that can go through a bad marriage and not repent and be healed. Like, your marriage sucked. It was a horrible life experience. But you went through all of that and you still will not come, turn, repent of your sin and be healed. You go marry the same kind of guy that you, or gal that you married the first time. And do it again. Because you won't do it God's way. We can go through dark depression and not, be, not repent and be healed. Not all depression is, is your fault, but a lot of depression is your life choices. You've made sad life choices, now you've got to live in those life choices, and you're just depressed about it. And you hated being in depression. You hated being in the darkness. You hated the difficulty of it. But it still did not cause you to repent and return to the Lord. You can go through a difficult addiction and not repent and be healed. I'm amazed at the number of people who struggle with addiction. And your life is horrible. But you still will not repent and be healed. You'll play repentant. You'll act sad. But when you get the opportunity, you go right back to the very life that you hated.
Though God only chastens those whom he loves, you still won't be honest and humble yourself before God. For Isaiah, he tried to communicate with them, but they didn't want to hear it. His message would fall on deaf ears, dead hearts, and blind minds. Last week may have seemed like an outlier to most. The, uh, the rantings, as I said earlier, of, a, of an older pastor who's just throwing a fit. Because you won't hear the word of God. Telling you that preachers surrender to an impossible task. Preaching a message that most are unwilling to receive. Preaching to a people who are unwilling to humble themselves in the sight of the Lord. You'll play repentance and feign contrition, but never humbling yourself before God, turning from your sin. You'll feel bad about it. You'll feel remorse, but not repentance. You'll feel convicted, but not enough to change. You'll never humble yourself before God. It amazes me that... that just from my life experience, I've preached messages on gossip before, gone out into the foyer and listened to people gossip. I don't understand how you can hear a message on gossip being sin and then literally through the doors on the same Sunday morning that I preach on gossip and we go right back to our sin. You felt bad about it or you didn't hear it or you didn't see it. I've preached on forgiveness in marriage before and literally watched couples blow up in the foyer. Like, you did not make it out of the doors of the auditorium. What is it, 30 feet? You felt bad in the sermon. You felt sad in the sermon, but you didn't have enough, to, have enough sadness and repent to, to cause you to repent of the sin. Have you done that? Not just here. We're, we're, you've heard the word of God preached. And you thought, I need to make some changes. But by the time you get out the door, you're back to the way you were before. Nothing said by a man of God from the word of God will produce the desired results of repentance and healing. But for a very few. And that's a hard truth to understand. Israel was so hardened to sin. This is what God said about and then to the children of Israel in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 18. Woe to those. You don't want to hear a woe from God. He's God. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood. Draw iniquity with cords of falsehood. That's sin that's leading. You're, you're choosing the type of sin that you want to lead your life. Who draws sin as with cart ropes. You're trying to control it. Who say, let him be quick, speaking of God. Let him be quick. Let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near. Let it come that we may know it. Israel is mocking the threat of God's punishment for their sins. Israel's saying, bring it on, God. 
we're not afraid. I wonder how often we are sinning against God or living a life of, uh, of, of rebellion against the word of God. And we're okay with it. And we're literally saying to God, bring it on. I'm not afraid of you. I hear what you're saying, God. I know what you're saying to me. I know you're talking to me. I know you're, you're using a man of God to preach the word of God to me. But you're just going to reject the word of God that's preached to you. You're literally saying, God, I'm going to control my own sinful choices. I'm going to choose what sin is and bring it on. God, does that not, is, is it just me or does that scare you a little bit that we can do that? We can get so hardened to sin that we can reject God's warnings to us about our life. That we can feel bad and we can feel sad, but when the moment, first moment we get a chance, we go right back to what we were doing before. Am I the only one that struggles with this? I've heard people say, if only Jesus was here, I would repent. Read the Gospels. It's the story of Jesus Christ showing himself to be the Son of God and the Son of God being rejected by the people of God. And unless you're one of the few disciples who actually surrendered their life to him, and even the 12 that went with him, only, only 11 of them survived by faith. Well, I take that back. 10, because Peter denied him. Well, Thomas kind of denied him too. I mean, we could... Jesus fulfilled the prophetic words in Isaiah 7, 14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and we shall call his name God with us. They knew that he was born of a virgin, but they wouldn't believe. Jesus fulfilled the prophetic words of Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, where he said he's going to do ministry in, in Galilee. And he did ministry in Galilee and people still rejected him because he was doing ministry in Galilee. They still wouldn't believe. Though the word of God in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and 7 said that he was going to come from the throne of David or the lineage of David, they still wouldn't believe that he was the son of God. Though Isaiah 11 and 10, this is all Isaiah's preaching on Jesus. Isaiah 11.10 says that of him all the nations would inquire that, that Gentile people will go to Jesus and try to be saved. And the Jews saw Gentiles go to him and they were like, why, why would they want to go to Jesus? He must not be the son of God. But the scripture says that Gentile people would want to know Jesus. Not just Jews. But they wouldn't believe. Isaiah 40 verse 3 talks about John the Baptist saying, A voice cries in the wilderness, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert the highway of our God. And they saw John the Baptist, and they heard him preach. They heard John the Baptist say of Jesus Christ, this is the, the, this is, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they still wouldn't believe. John the Baptist, who was an old school preacher in a new school testament, said that Jesus was the Son of God, and they still would not believe him. 
Though he would be rejected by the very people who ought to rejoice at his coming. In Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected of man. Though he was despised and rejected of man, they still didn't, couldn't see that he was the Christ, the Son of God. They still wouldn't believe. No matter what people saw in Jesus, they still wouldn't believe. And I wonder what kind of hinders us from not living a life of faith in the Word of God and obedience to the Word of God. How much are we like Israel? Who no matter what's being preached or what's being taught or what's being told, you still reject it. Oh, you receive it kind of, you kind of feel bad about your sin. You kind of feel remorseful. You act like you're sad, but you're not really that sad. You're just kind of sad you got caught, not sad that you've sinned. I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about me. And no matter what God has put you through, no matter how many difficult times, you really have never fully surrendered your life to him. You give him little parts and pieces, little seasons maybe. I've watched over the years where people will come to know Christ as their Savior. They'll come to church. Their lives will be destroyed. Their lives will be a wreck. They'll come to know Christ as their Savior. Their life will start to be changed. They'll start to follow him for a while. But the first chance they get to go back into the world, they go back into the world. They forget what, where they've been and they forget what they've been through. And so they reject the message of God. As I said last week, why would somebody surrender to something that would not be successful? Even if Jesus himself could not get people to believe. Even if Jesus, Jesus physically being on this earth Jesus, they, they watched him, they heard him, they connected the scriptures to him, yet they wouldn't believe. And the answer is simple. When Isaiah lost his king, he was lost. Have you ever been in that place where you just felt lost? In a moment of prayer, he was transported under the throne room of God. There he saw God whose presence filled the temple, literally meaning that God was bigger than his problems. Have you ever been in that place where you prayed to God and you, it was like you were taken right up to the throne room of God and you literally realized God is bigger than whatever I'm going through. God is bigger than my problems. Isaiah was impressed by angelic beings who were in constant worship an active service. Have you ever been around somebody who's like that? Like they're in constant worship and they're in active service. Like they, you never see them stop. You don't see the, the angelic beings get burnt out or get worn out or get tired. They're just constantly serving and constantly worshiping and constantly loving. And they just won't stop no matter what's going on. Because King Uzziah's death did not stop the angels from worshiping God. He heard them cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The full, whole earth is full of his presence or glory. I think we're going to be shocked when we actually see what real worship's like in heaven. 
Amen. I'm not knocking your worship today. That, that was great. But I'm just saying that when you literally see these angelic beings going around the throne of God, singing, holy, holy. And someone's going to say, somebody is, is going to get up there and say, is that all they say is the same words over and over and over again? <laughs> Who taught them 7-Eleven? Same seven words 11 times. That was free. And it felt good. I think we're going to be shocked when we see these angelic beings worshiping God over and over and over again. And this shook Isaiah standing in the presence of a holy God. I'm just a have come to the place in my life where I realize if you've really met God, it should be impactful. It should kind of mess you up a little bit. It should challenge you. And Isaiah, seeing the king, the Lord of the army, the Lord of the armies of God, he humbled himself and said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When he saw God in his, in, her, in his holiness, when he saw God high and lifted up, when he actually met God, he saw his sin. He saw his internal sin and his external sin. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I choose to live with sinful people. And he repented of that. He confessed that his sin. He said, I can't, this is who I shouldn't be. And as I said three weeks ago, when, when he confessed his sin, an angel responded in, in, to his honest humility and goes over to the throne of God, takes a coal off the altar of God, which is a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and put that coal right on the place where his sin was. They, the song used to say, there to the heart was the blood applied, glory to his name. I don't know if that fits. It just the hymn just came to me. I'm not sure if that's the Holy Spirit or that's just me. Once he confessed, his sin was forgiven and his sin was atoned for. His guilt was taken away and his sin was atoned for by Jesus. Let's make it really clear. And I believe that Isaiah was much like Israel, as a lot of people are just like us. Before our salvation, we were sinners, right? Just three of us. The rest of you were born saints. Praise God for you. I'm, I'm in the presence of greatness. But see, we know before his salvation, he was a sinner who lived his life obeying and disobeying God. So sometimes he would obey God, sometimes he wouldn't obey God. How do we know that? Because of the guilt that he felt. Amen? If you're innocent, you don't feel guilt. If you're without sin, there is no guilt. If you haven't done anything wrong, there's no reason to worry about being wrong. Right? But Isaiah felt guilt. How do we know that? Because the angel said, your guilt's removed. The moment that he trusted Christ as his Savior, confessing his sin. Guilt is the evidence of sin. 
Now, he, like many others in his life, would say he was repentant and act like he was really sad about his sin, but he would return to his old sinful ways. We've all done that. But this was a different experience. His difficult experience led him to honestly seek God. And in honestly seeking God, he found God. And that's what the scripture teaches. If you honestly seek God, you'll find him. But I wonder how honestly we're seeking God to bail us out of a problem instead of honestly seeking God in his presence, in his person, in his power, in his self. We know this because of Isaiah's response to the recognition of his external and internal sins. When he saw God, he said, I am a man of unclean, I am in the presence of a holy God, and I am not holy. And this is what I've done, and this is who I am. And he humbled himself and confessed before a holy God and all the angels in heaven. Once his guilt was taken away, we know from last week, it was such a fantastic experience that he immediately surrendered to serve God before he even knew what he was surrendering to. This salvation experience was so powerful, so life-changing, so crazy that when God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, I'll go. Before he even knew he was signing up for a ministry that was not going to be successful. Why would he do that? Well, let me back up and say this. He did do that. He fulfilled the ministry that God called him to. He preached for a number of years the, to, to a people of God who rejected the word of God. And he just kept preaching. Because God promised there would be a remnant, so there was a few that would come. I mean, at least it wasn't like Jeremiah who had no converts. Like, this was a season of difficult time where people were either repented of sin or they continued in their sin. And most of them just continued. Throughout the book of Isaiah... Isaiah shares with his people about Jesus and how his sacrifice would pave the way for their forgiveness of sins. That's all he preached was Jesus over and over and over again. I've watched over the last 29 years so many receive that message of forgiveness and grace and love. And I've watched how many of them, it's changed their lives. It's transformed them. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But I've seen many more reject the message. Or at least fake it. See, I think the difference is those in humility and honesty who call upon the name of the Lord through genuine repentance find deep healing. Which is what Jesus and Isaiah and Paul all said, if you trust Christ as your Savior, and you truly do, you'll find deep healing in your souls. Not just a way to go from hell to heaven. 
but you'll literally be forgiven of your sins and freed from the bondage of that sin. And his love will begin to heal your heart and he'll give you hope and happiness, which is what my wife's trying to do with my diet. That's why I surrender to this impossible task because I know that Jesus Christ makes a difference. I've watched how Jesus Christ has transformed lives, literally taken really messed up people, people who are struggling with divorce and bad marriages. I've seen God transform their lives. I've seen people who struggle with addiction and depression. I've literally seen Jesus take depressed people and give them a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Or God's presence. I've seen addicts get free from their addiction. Why? Because they're humbled by the presence of God. And cleansed from those desires that would cause them to sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. I have concluded that if you don't feel sorrow for your sin, your salvation is nothing special. But if your Savior had to suffer for your sins, you can't help but share it with sinners. You know Jesus has made a difference in your life. You know Jesus has made a difference in your life. You've seen what Jesus Christ has done. You've lived it. You've experienced it. You've felt it. You've known it. See, I was once an impossible task where preachers, since a child, preached to me and I rejected their message. Dad, it's so boring in church. Is that all he does is talk? Dad, he's yelling. Why is he yelling? I heard the message of salvation over and over and over again. And there was times that I would feel remorse or a slight kind of repentance. I would feel sad to a degree that I wasn't what I should be doing. But the moment I got out of that building... I went right back to my sin. We used to have a youth group of 100 kids. And um, I wouldn't suggest it. (laughs) Teens need to be around adults. Christian adults. Because if they're around their peers, they're just going to get into trouble. Put a whole bunch of emotion-filled human beings together. Right? You put them all together and say, okay, you guys follow each other. I'm not saying they're bad kids. I'm saying they're going to do the dumbest things because that's what you are when you're a teenager. You're just kind of dumb. <laughs> I, was, I was one. I'm not knocking you. I'm just saying it's true. But we were a part of that group, and I remember we would... This poor youth leader. He would teach us on 1 Corinthians 13. We stayed in 1 Corinthians 13 for 
four years. We never got out of it, 1 Corinthians 13. It's on love. Love is not lust. That's what he, he opened with. We didn't believe him. Because we would go after youth group. We would just go live like, we would feel bad about our sin. We would feel sorry for our sin. But we would just go right back afterwards and go out and get drunk. I'm not saying kids are doing that today. I don't know what they do today because I'm not a kid. But back then, it didn't matter what he taught. We weren't going to listen. I was that impossible task. I remember first coming to church and I would sit in the back row because that's where all real men sat. <laughs> Not knocking any real men in the room that are sitting in the back row. I'm just saying that's where I sat. And I remember basically saying to my preacher, I dare you to try to change my life. I remember listening to the songs that were saying, this is stupid. What are they, who are they singing to? These are dumb songs. Nobody sings these songs. I remember hearing him call every service to repent of sin. And I was like, I'm good. I'm good. These other people might be messed up. But I'm good. And then one night, yes, that's when we actually had services at night. One night, the word of God hit me. I was struggling with anxiety, high anxiety, high people anxiety. Like, I had anxiety, and then you add people to it, and it just exploded. Put me around people. I wouldn't go to the, the, the what was that, the, um, the state fair. Because there was people there. My wife wanted to go to dances. Not going to happen. Got no rhythm. Not going to be embarrassed by it. I remember that night where I felt not remorse for my sin, but I felt the weight of my sin. And sitting in a pew on a Wednesday night, I repented of my sin. In that, I was cleansed by my sin and forgiven of my sin. That night, a friend of mine who was doing door-to-door evangelism just said hi to me. That's all he said was hi. And it was as if the Holy Spirit of God said, and I say as if because it was, the Holy Spirit of God said, go with him tomorrow. I don't like people. I don't like people. People freak me out. Go talk to strangers at their door. Ask them if they died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? By the way, welcome. My name is Andy Roberts. I'm from Bayview Baptist Church. If you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? By the way, I really don't like people, but I'm here. That morning at 11 o'clock, we went and knocked doors. I don't know if you can do that today. Anytime I, I talked to a stranger the other day on the front steps of the church, and that didn't turn out well. 
I'm going to talk anyway. When you're sitting at the front steps of the church, you're going to get it, right? (laughs) You're asking for it. A man who was scared of people one night surrendered to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people that he didn't know. A man who cared only of his own family and his own self one night. The next night, next day surrendered his life to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who did not know him. My life was so transformed by that moment with God where I heard the word of God and I repented of my sin and the Holy Spirit literally engulfed me. It changed me. I did not feel sorrow for my sin. I felt repentance. I could not go back to being the man that I was and it literally transformed my life. Because of Jesus Christ. Before that, I couldn't see what the Word of God says. My heart was dull. My mind was dead. But one night, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and changed my life. See, I played the game of fake believer. But one day, I met the truth. You know, this was Paul's way. Some days you got to get knocked off your donkey. And he heard the voice of God for the first time, and in humility and honesty, he repented of his sin. And overnight, he was changed. Let me just give you a verse. He got, so in, in Acts chapter 9, it's his story of getting saved. He got saved. Three days later, he, he was blind for three days. Then he got his sight given back to him. He didn't know what to do, so they just started ministering to him. And right after he got saved, the Bible says this about Paul. Acts chapter 9, verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. That salvation transformed him so greatly and so much. That experience with God changed him so much that he surrendered to a task that was impossible. Sharing the gospel. He was a man who killed Jews who were believers. And now he's sharing, because of Jesus, now he's sharing the name of Jesus with those same people who reject Jesus. Talk about an impossible task. Aren't you Paul, the one who used to murder Christians? Like, he was not welcome at church. Most evangelists aren't. Most excited people about Jesus are kind of not really accepted at church. See, I believe this to be true, and this isn't to be negative towards you, but some of you are Israel. You will hear but not perceive. No matter what's preached, no matter what God says to you, no matter how many times he comes back at you over and over and over again, you will not hear his voice. The Holy Spirit will try and try and try to challenge, convict you of sin, to change you, to save you, You'll just keep rejecting him over and over and over again. And you will quench his spirit and then you will grieve his spirit. Meaning you don't get the power of God in your life. Because you won't accept the presence of God in your life. Some of you are Isaiah. You just share the good news of Jesus with people whether they want to hear it or not. Amen? Like you're that person that 
people see and they go, oh, no. Here we go. They're going to invite me to church. That's all they do is invite me. To, like, they're going to tell me about Jesus. They're going to tell me about this Bible study they did. They're going to tell me about this prayer that they prayed. They're just, oh, man. Oh, here we go. But some of you are in between. Maybe your salvation experience wasn't as powerful as Isaiah's. But it might not have been what God did in your salvation experience. It might be what you didn't do in your salvation experience. Maybe you didn't really repent. And people don't like that word. We, we hate that word. We fight that word. But maybe you didn't see God. You just saw yourself. Because I think if you see God, you can't help but humble yourself and repent of your sinful ways. And I, I don't, like, you would remember a coal touching your sinful lips and an angel saying, your sins have been forgiven. You would remember that. Would you not? Or maybe you just prayed a prayer to get out of hell. To get out of that difficult time you're in. To get out of that problem. And then you went right back to it. You kind of know what you should do, but you won't. You'll settle for junk food, bringing, binging on the Bible, but you never come to the knowledge of the truth. that we've been given an impossible task of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who do not know Jesus. And the reason you don't share it is because maybe it wasn't that big of a deal to you. My wife's sharing health with me because she knows in her life healthy eating has helped her live life better. Don't we believe that Jesus Christ helps people live life better? No, 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 that's not going to happen. It's, don't we believe that Jesus Christ makes life better? Yes. Don't we believe that he can transform life? Don't we believe that he can take an addict and free him from the bondage of that sin? Yes. Don't we believe he can bring light to a dark place yes. into person? Don't we believe that, that uh, uh, he can either restore marriage or restore you after a broken marriage? Don't we believe that you can find love even if you haven't been loved by humans? You can find love in God that is amazing? Then if you know that, if you feel that, if you've experienced that, why won't you share it? If you know it's better for these people, why won't you share it? Because it's impossible. It's impossible. For you. It's not impossible for the Holy Spirit to convict people of sin. It's not impossible for the Holy Spirit to challenge people to repent. It's not impossible for Him. The healthiest Christians I know are those who surrender their lives to a healthy diet of sharing the gospel. Because if it's good for me, it's good for you.
But there's a lot of people like me towards my wife who I know that my wife is right that I need to change my diet so that I'm healthier. And if I'm healthier, I'm happier. And she just keeps telling me every day. She preaches the gospel of you need to eat better. And I keep telling her, I'm not going to do it. And she keeps saying, I'm just going to keep saying it over and over and over again. I'm eating things now that I've never eaten in my life because my wife will not shut up. <laughs> and don't tell her, but I feel better. Oh. I'm... <laughs> I'll, she'll ask me, how's your day today? Oh, it's great. What'd you eat? <laughs> we know Jesus makes a difference. We know he makes a difference. We know he makes a difference. Maybe he hasn't made a difference in you. He'll make a difference today. Holy Spirit's trying to tell you, you need Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Because if he's your Savior, you're happier. You have a joy that's unspeakable and because it's, the, you're, it's full of God's presence. And the Holy Spirit of God is inside of you saying, you should be happy that you're forgiven. You don't have any guilt anymore. Let's stand. We're going to sing an old hymn. But I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and only sing it if you mean it. If you don't know it, just listen to it. But if you do know it and you do believe it, do something with it. Because there's a world full of people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's houses that you do life in with people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I know it's hard. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. We've talked about that last week. It's an impossible task. Not for God. He's not willing that any should perish, and neither should we be, but that all should come to repentance. All should reach repentance. Let's sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Get this part. No turning back. No turning that decision in your life? Have you made that decision in your life? I've decided to follow Jesus and I'm not turning back. This is a difficult task, but I'm not going to turn back from it. Let's go to the second verse. No one join me, still I will No. Mm -hmm.
I so believe in this message. I don't need people to go with me to, to, to do it. I want people to join me. I want you to be a part of what God is trying to do in this world. But if you won't join me, I'm still going to follow Jesus. So let's, let's sing the last verse. Though no one join me, the cross before me, the is your savior there's no turning back you can't help it you know what he's done you know who he is you know what he'll do you know how much the love of the father the how much love the father has for you you know how much sacrifice jesus gave for your sins and you know how the spirit of god has been speaking to you about sharing the message of jesus christ with others if you're in you can't turn back no turning back. Father, we love you. And I just believe that there are people in this room, many people in this room who have decided to follow Jesus. But sometimes we forget that we were the difficult ones. That we were the ones that rejected the message. That we were the ones that pushed away. That we were the ones that didn't hear, wouldn't see, wouldn't obey but one day father you met us your spirit called upon us moved us to you brought us to you and through our confession of sin transformed us through the sacrifice the atonement of our sin by Jesus Christ and we literally had our lives changed by you father let us spend this fall sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who don't know it. At whatever cost. We love you. If there's somebody in this room, Father, and I don't know them, but if there's somebody in this room that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, encourage them to come up to me or Elsie or Deborah or Anthony. Anyone else on the Verlin? Encourage them to just come and ask us how they could know for sure who Jesus is. And how they can be guaranteed the forgiveness of their sins so their guilt can be taken away. Encourage their hearts, Father. Let this church be a church filled with people who are not ashamed to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who don't know him. We love you, Jesus. Prepare us for next week, Father. I believe next week is a big week for this church. So I just pray that you prepare our hearts that we would be open to hearing what the Holy Spirit has to say next week. Encourage us. We love you. In Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. guys, thanks for coming. Please don't forget your kids. They're probably sweating right now.